If you want legendary service, if you want sweeter discounts, shop under Linwick and Sherrod. See what it's all about. Switch to Sherrod. Get a quote and save by bundling auto and home with insurance. You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will, but we're not gonna let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are Body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B O D I.com. At least I'll be in a pennant race and be able to pitch in the postseason, maybe win a World Series. And then he got traded to the most dysfunctional organization in baseball. If they wait until the offseason, they're going to be uh, you know, competing with the free agent market, which for pitchers isn't great, but you've got Garrett Cole. But he had to get on a plane regardless of who he was going to end the weekend with is the other weird part. Yeah, I know. No, no, <laughs> just hanging out in the clubhouse. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 151. And we will not be crossing the dugout to any other podcast anytime soon. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Houseum. Josh, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. And you? Uh, I am listening to the rain, pitter-patter, and, uh, and hoping that everything electrically holds together for the end of the storm while we attempt to record this. Other than that, I'm good. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm having thoughts, many, many thoughts about the Blue Jays. Let's run it down real quick because, uh, as as even the major outlet said, a whole heck of a lot happened in about five hours. Uh, biggest thing that we're going to talk about first, of course, is Marcus Stroman being traded to da, 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 the New York Mets. But you knew that already. Uh, and then uh, his reaction to that trade. And then uh, we're going to actually go straight up to Jeff Paternostro. Because he has some more insight on the guys coming back from that trade. And then we're going to talk in a little bit more depth uh, about uh, where we're at with, with how things went for the Blue Jays there. The other trade, of course, Eric Sogard. Uh, the cross-the-field trade, which the Blue Jays have done a couple of times before. Um, uh, Bo Bichette was then called up um, to fill some holes on the infield, which is a cool thing. And, uh, and how's he doing in Kansas City tonight? We'll find out. Shelly Duncan got kind of demoted, which... Uh, I don't know, worth touching on. Uh, the team did play some games, of course, and they, they had an incredible, incredible comeback and then allowed an incredible comeback. And in all of that, especially that second game of the uh, the the, uh, the the drubbing they took at, at Tampa's hands, um, there was a certain closer who was unavailable, quote unquote. We have a do-over. Of course we have a do-over. And it's for your very own hometown Blue Jays. Uh, and that should get us through podcast number 151 if i'm correct so marcus stroman is a new york and i bet i bet you're happier the word here is met other than yankee <laughs> i just shocking not that he was trading because that was that was <laughs> a given kind of conclu- yeah it's what kind of conclusion <laughs> there is in baseball but to the mets I mean, so ken rosenthal started reporting that about a day before, saying there's talk that the Mets are going to trade for Stroman or trade Syndergaard to the Padres and then use some of those prospects to trade for Stroman so they'd get prospects and Stroman because it wouldn't cost obviously as much to get Stroman as it would to get Syndergaard. But then they just traded for Stroman. <laughs> With uh, Mets prospects yeah. only coming to Toronto. <laughs> 
so that was simple. Um, but a lot of people, the the Mets end of this trade is is completely mystifying, and and that's going to be coming up with Jeff um, in general about the Mets. Um, but let's just to the nuts and bolts of it. Marcus Stroman wanted that word to be the Yankees, not the Mets. Um, unlike us, who didn't really want to see him in a Yankee uniform and have to face him a bunch of times. Uh, he was apparently really upset to the point that the clubhouse did not get opened up to reporters after the trade. Yeah. He, yeah, I mean, again, we're getting this second hand or third hand, I guess, technically, because we're getting it from a reporter who got it from a source. But the, yeah, apparently he was not happy about being traded to a team that is not in contention. I mean, the Mets are, they're in fourth place, 11 and a half games out. They're six games out of a wild card spot with, I think it's five teams between them, four teams. And that's just not a true contender. So, yeah, I mean, he, I, I'm sure that he knew he was going to get traded, but he was mentally preparing himself to go to a team and win, not a team that's trying to win next year. Yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't know why he would be that visibly upset, um, you know, because no one's come out to deny that that's, that's what Stroman did. I mean, I guess he's always worn his heart on his sleeve, and it's one of the things I'm not overly I'm jazzed about. Marcus Stroman um, talking about himself all the time. I think that's the way I see it. Is he's, he he talks a lot about Marcus Stroman, and I get kind of tired of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I just it's like okay, you're going to get traded. That that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to a contender. Well, it doesn't. But I mean, I think he and everybody else expected that, right? So, I mean, it was just as much a shock to us, which is why we're shocked at the Mets, as it would be to him. That's why I just think, I think that, like you said, he does wear his heart on his sleeve, and I think that the disappointment of being trading away from a team he does like playing for, he was like, okay, well, you know, if if I do get traded, at least I'll be in a pennant race and be able to pitch in the postseason, maybe win a World Series. And then he got traded to the most dysfunctional organization in baseball. Yeah, that we've highlighted over and over again. So if he thought that the front office here wasn't treating him with, uh, you know, due care and, and respect, ah, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Mets. Sorry about that. That's just the way it goes. Um, yeah, so anything else about the actual goings-on around the trade? I mean, Rosenthal was on top of it. It happened. Blue Jays got two minor league pitchers back, a lefty and a righty. Um do you want to go to uh, to more of a breakdown about that before we discuss it any further? Well, just quickly, just the the concept of Stroman leaving and what it does to this rotation. Um, yeah, because we'll we'll analyze the trade in a bit after we talk to Jeffrey, because obviously he knows more about the prospects than we do. Uh, you know, like we, we've been as as we talked about, we've been preparing for this. We knew it was coming. There. The rotation is <laughs> it's pretty thin. It's Sanchez, thankfully, you know, he's pitching a little better. He had a great start, set a record for strikeouts to start a game in his last outing against Tampa. Mm-hmm. But uh it's Sanchez, Barucky, Thornton, Wagusback, and I think Panone is the fifth starter right now. But of course the, the Wagusback and Panone are just that's like the last guy who took the turn in the rotation. <laughs> Yeah, White Spike is getting another turn. They have said that officially. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is a young, low ceiling, with the exception of maybe Thornton and Sanchez, rotation. I mean, Barucki is a number three at best. I mean, he's not an overpowering guy. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch, especially if, you know, a couple of these relievers get dealt as well. Yeah, this 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 team is. I mean, already we watch what happens when they're a little tired or a little thin. It turns into a tire fire pretty quick. Um, you know, what one we'll get to that later. But th- this week was like the 2019 Blue Jays in microcosm in two games. Yeah, but we'll stay focused on Stroman, which is why I'm going to go to uh, to the interview with uh, Jeff and uh, and he's going to break it all down for us. And then we can come back once you guys have heard all about that and uh, and uh, focus on what the Blue Jays might be doing going forward from here. And the Blue Jays have made a trade, and uh, there are prospects involved, and that's why 
Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus, is here to enlighten us once again. Welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure. Absolutely. Do they ever call you uh, Jeffrey Nostradamus? <laughs> Paternostradamus? Um, I, I could not actually predict the Mets trading for Marcus Stroman. But... <laughs> um, now, I know you did not write the Fangraphs article, but did you lend the title, The Mets Have Traded for Marcus Stroman for Some Reason? <laughs> So I described the somebody asked me sort of unrelatedly today uh, about the Mets having discussions with the the Red Sox about Edwin Diaz if they were not only refusing to trade Syndergaard to the Yankees but trading Diaz to the Red Sox who have a, have a weaker farm system than some of the other uh, possible landing spots as a way to to screw the Yankees and I just said there's no actual um, like institutional organization or intelligence here it's just like a squid reacting to stimuli <laughs> that's pretty much how the how the Mets operate nowadays the 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 New York squids mm. sure I'll believe it they uh, got a, I mean they got they got a Long Island kid it's a Long Island kid um that's it they love local did you know Stephen Matz is from Long Island Stephen Matz is also from Long Island yes, they, <laughs> but they traded a Long Island kid away so there's no net Long Island oh. increase to the organization all right, so I'm sure people are like, okay, you had Mr. Paternostro on the show and you haven't asked him any actual relevant questions yet, so I guess I should get with the obvious, who are the two guys, and let me get their names here once again. They are, uh, they are, no, no, I'm not. there we are, uh, Mr. K and uh, Mr. Woods Richardson, no hyphen. Um, mm -hmm. Mr. K is, is a lot closer to the major leagues, um, so we'll start with him. Well, sure. Uh, he was their second. He was their <laughs> their second round pick in 2016. Um, they immediately found a torn UCL, and he missed all of 2017, recovering from Tommy John surgery. Spent last year, sort of with the training wheel still on, and a ball uh, at both levels. Started in Double A this year. Was very dominant in the first half, and has scuffled a bit since his promotion to Triple A a few weeks ago. But he is about, you know, if not immediately major league ready, certainly by opening day 2020 or thereabouts. Uh, he is the sort of prototypical polished college lefty. You know, coming out of UConn, he was a, a fastball changeup guy. You know, he had that pretty lefty changeup. The change really hasn't come all the way back uh, since surgery, but the curve has jumped. You know, he always, the question was, was he going to develop enough of a third pitch uh, with the breaking ball? But he now has a pretty good sort of one to seven breaker. It's not a real... Uh, you know, like tight power curveball, but he manipulates it well. He can throw it to either side of the plate. It's a good chase pitch. Uh, you know, it's probably the best of the three offerings here. Fastball is low 90s for the most part. He can touch higher. I don't know if you saw him in the Futures game. He was sort of sitting 95, 96 for one inning. It's about where he'll top out of the starter, but he, he lives more 91 to 93. Good two-seam action. Commands, you know, there's some funk in the delivery, um, which can impact the command profile. Uh, and the changeup's fine. Like it's it's not an above average pitch, but it's certainly enough to cross over. Um, you know, it's sort of a he mixes all three pitches well. I don't want to call him like a pitchability guy. That's also not really his profile. But you know, he's a he projects as sort of like a number you know low end number three or number four starter, what we call a, a roll fifty or roll fifty five, and he's about ready for for that uh, in the majors. So uh... he's not. Now there he'd is a like, bit I of said a... he was he'd be like a borderline top one hundred one guy for us. I don't know if he'll actually make the list, but he'll be certainly in consideration for it. So now, briefly, the, the red flag with him that I've read, and again, uh, I'm going to you for this, is that he was great at not giving up homers when using the minor league ball, um, but AAA is using the major league ball, which I think we all just have to pretty much agree is juiced like crazy right now. Uh, and he's had big home run problems since going to AAA. Is that is that a red flag? Uh, or is that uh, I don't think there's enough over? information on him at AAA yet to conclude that one way or the other. Um, you know, the the two issues uh, with him for me as a, as a pitching prospect that keeps me from saying, you know, this close to major league ready lefty with three average or better pitches is definitely a top one on one guy, is that uh, he doesn't he he's not super efficient. You know, he, he the walk rate's a little higher than you want. Doesn't always put guys away. Doesn't always work as deep into starts as you'd like. And just he had a lot of success in double A, sort of spamming the curveball out of the zone and getting guys to chase. 
Triple uh, A hitters are a little more selective, and certainly major league hitters will be. And they'll either force him to spot that curve for a strike, or force him to get ahead with the with the fastball first, or they'll be able to foul off the curveball if it's close, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he might not have that that clear uh, major league out pitch, which also can sort of limit how deep he can go into games as well. I mean, the home run stuff is certainly worth keeping an eye on. It's not a great fastball. Uh, you know, it's probably an average for lefties and the fastball command is also, you know, fringe to average. So if he's in the zone with the fastball, you know, guys might be able to punish him with the new baseball, but I, I wouldn't worry about that yet. He had a, I think two or three bad starts uh, off the hop in AAA at the new level. And that has been more Anthony K like since then, but sure. It's definitely worth keeping an eye on over the balance of the season. Uh, so that's Anthony K who you described as, you know, college pitcher, polished, got a bunch of pitches um it seems like the jays went to the other end of the the spectrum with uh simeon woods richardson who is still 18 years old what what else do we know about him so it's interesting he's uh from the 2018 draft class and he's the the two sort of texas preps that went in that area were woods richardson and, and adam kloffenstein and you really couldn't find two different sort of you know, body types, Klopfenstein, sort of your traditional big power arm projectable righty. While Richardson is younger, I mean, he, is, he is still 18, um, but he's, it, look, I don't, it's a very good frame. He's very athletic, um, but there's just not a lot of projection here. Uh, it's a big, it's a little thickness in the lower half. You know, he, he really wouldn't, he's, he's on the shorter side. You wouldn't really ex- add, expect him to add a ton of velocity. And depending on when you saw him in A-ball this year, you know, he could be anywhere from 89 to 93, some stars, 92 to 96, other starts. It's a pretty wide range of what you would see. But generally, as a starter, he's worked uh, what would be an average velocity band for right-handed pitchers. Now, he's one of those guys where you look at sort of the strikeout numbers and you, like, assume the stuff is better than it is. But really, if you can spot average velocity uh, in the zone and have some feel for a curveball, which he does, um, you, you can pretty much dominate a ball regardless of what your age is. And functionally, I think we do talk a little too much about age relative to league for pitchers. It's, it's sort of the idea is it's what is this guy going to be? You know, wh- what can you project? Where is he going to get better? You know, I think he could add some strength and maybe he does sit more 92 to 96 uh, as a starter and using like a 55, 60 fastball instead. Um, you know, it's a high spin pitch. It's lively up in the zone because he's shorter uh, even though it's a high three-quarter slot, there's not a ton of plane on it. Um, he'll show some arm side run, but not always. You know, he got hit pretty hard in a lot of cases in the in the first half of the first half of the year, his first ten starts or so in in the South Atlantic League. Again, it's not something I'd particularly worry about. We're just sort of looking at sort of what what, what he might be going forward. Uh, curveballs, it's a nice pitch. Uh, it's a very advanced pitch for his age. It can get a little humpy at times when he's not on top of it, but generally flashes good 12 to 6 type shape. It's uh, you know it's a little bit firmer than Case curveball. You know Case curveball is more mid 70s, this is more upper 70s. He might even take that up into the low 80s as he develops. And as a high school prep pick in his first pro season of the majors, the changeup is more theoretical than anything else. <laughs> um, he does have one and he does throw it. You know it's, it's certainly an organizational uh, directive for. Mets pitching prospects are sort of change up a fair bit, uh, regardless of quality, but it's more like checking a box in his starts. You know, it'll flash some fade, but it tends to be just sort of like firm and kind of out of the hand pretty true. Now, look, if he develops that change up to major league average and it's plus fastball, plus curveball, you know, average change up, even with maybe not the greatest fastball command or, or, or fastball movement, that's still probably like, again, in sort of the same range as Anthony Kay, uh, a low end three or number four starter, but there's you know there's more significant reliever risk here. The delivery is more relievery than K is. Uh, it's it's up tempo. He tends to fall off. The posture is not great. There's some effort. You know there's just little little boxes I tick when I'm looking at a guy that makes me think that there's a little more reliever risk in the overall profile. But you know in short bursts he could also be more you know 95 to 98, which you know with a, you know he'd be a power fastball curveball reliever as a fallback. Um, again, a guy that I, I think he's a, you'll find some sources that like Richardson more than Kay. I don't have strong feelings, uh, one way or the other. I think we have Richardson sort of like the next tier down. He's not really going to be in one-on-one consideration just because of the reliever risk and how far off from the majors he is right now. But, you know, he's a good athlete, which is to like, you know, it's, it's a present 
good fastball and a better curve than you see from most 18-year-olds. Uh, and we'll just sort of see how that plays out uh, as he develops in the upper minors. So we're looking at, um, I mean, you answered one of my questions, which is which guy has, has more potential, and you're kind of split on that at the moment. Um, we're looking at this trade in terms of the Mets simply pushing a button because the Mets saw a button to push. Uh, hmm. But I don't think the Blue Jays fall into that organizational, well, let's just trade for the sake of trading. What did, do you think they saw in, in this particular move? Like, what was this about for the Blue Jays? I mean, I think it's possible this was the... Uh, like, look, they're not going to extend Stroman. If they wait until the off season, they're going to be, uh, you know, competing with the free agent market, which for pitchers isn't great. But you've got Garrett Cole, uh, you know, Stephen Strasburg could potentially opt out. Um, you know, there are other out there be other trade options. You know, teams that maybe are sort of in the mix of the wild card race in the National League, which is like eleven teams right now, uh, will be more willing to part with a pitcher of similar quality on the trade market uh come winter meetings uh they could they could strike while the iron is hot here and like the extra <laughs> normally you would say the extra 10 starts or whatever matter because you are making this trade to a contender and so they're, they're like <laughs> hot, they're like playoff leverage starts you know the mm. mets might certainly fancy themselves that the rest of the way um but I'm just saying that this would be a better time for them to trade Stroman from a from a value proposition perspective, and this might have just been. I think like, look, we'll never know. I know the Yankees already leaked that this was significantly less than what uh, what their asking price was. With the Yankees, may or may not be true. Now every team says that usually. Perhaps they were paying a division, uh, interdivision premium. Perhaps the Yankees just value Kay and Woods Richardson less than the. Blue Jays do for whatever reason. You know, there's a lot of sort of different perspectives we're trying to to tease out from that kind of conversation. Um, you know what they got? I, <laughs> the Blue Jays do not have a ton of pitching prospects. Um, this gives them some more sort of uh, inventory of you know it, they're not bad prospects. Um, you know they are they're guys that will certainly would have been in the in the Mets top ten come this off season. I think we'll also be in the Blue Jays top ten. Blue Jays have a significantly better system than the Mets at, at, at present, even before this trade was made. Um, but, you know, it gives them a major league ready option for next year. It gives them somebody with a little bit more upside, a little bit further away. And, you know, ultimately you need to collect enough of these arms, you know, somebody out of the group pops because now you've got, you know, you got Woods Richardson, you've got Kay, you've got Cloffenstein, you've got Pardino. You know, you saw some of the guys that are um, sort of cycling up and down to the majors at present. It's working uh, out Nate great. Pier- don't don't worry <laughs> about it. It's going fine. Don't look. I looked at, I looked at their roster resource page, and I know they just called up Thomas Pannone again, who I do have a soft spot for. But uh, and then it said Tuesday starter is TBD. Like even on the roster resource page, they have like three starters listed at present. Um, you know, obviously Nate Pearson is the crown, is the jewel. crown jewel of the system here. And all those names are, you know, two tiers down, if not more, from Pearson. But, you know, if you collect enough of these, like, roll 50, roll 55 guys, you know, occasionally one of them pops. And you get, you know, it, it, there's a thing where they just sync better with the Blue Jays developmental system or, you know, get some... You know, somebody teaches Woods Richardson a new change-up grip. You know, we think of change of scenery for certain types of prospects, but all kinds of things can happen uh, when guys change organizations, both for for good and for ill. So I think for the Blue Jays, with a chance to uh, trade a player, and I think they basically got a hot first half from Stroman after he was not a very good starting pitcher last year. So his value may never have been higher. They probably sold a little bit high on him, uh, given the year and a half of control they had left and the performance in, in 2019 so far and, you know, got a couple pitchers and look, I don't think either of them is going to be as good as Marcus Stroman was at his peak as a blue Jay, you know, it not impossible, but I don't see these guys, you know, posting a, you know, four or five, one season, but you know, well, you Marcus, need... depending on your measure, Marcus Stroman has never posted a four or five, one sure, season, sure. <laughs> but you know, you need these kind of, um, pitching prospects and they don't really have a, a great depth in them um do you think that 
you know, Marcus Stroman in the next two years is going to be markedly better than than what these two guys could potentially give the Blue Jays in those two years, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, I mean Marcus Stroman is a above average major league starter right now. Um, mm. I don't, I mean, could Anthony K be that next year? Again, not impossible. I think there's going to be a, a bit of an adjustment curve against more selective major league hitters for him. Um, you know, I don't think Woods Richardson is in the majors in the next two years. Now, is it possible that Woods Richardson is a two years from now? Is he a good enough prospect to tr- to lead up a package for a Marcus Stroman like pitcher? Maybe, not impossible. It already happened once, depending on your point of view. <laughs> so, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, this is clearly again as much as I don't know what the what the Mets were doing from this particular standpoint. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad trade that they've improved. They've basically replaced Jason Vargas with Marcus Stroman, which is a fairly significant improvement going forward. And they were going to have to replace Jason Vargas's innings for 2020 anyway. And they did it at a, at a fairly low cost because it make, you know, low eight figures in arbitration. If he makes 13 million or whatever next year in, in arbitration, you're not going to get a, a picture of his quality for one year, 13 million on the market. Although maybe you are because God knows what the market's going to look like. But, you know, for the Blue Jays, it's a pretty much a sort of a cut and dry traditional trade deadline sell move. You know, trade a a not a rental, but a one plus control pitcher for prospects to boost up your farm and cycle up for the next time. All right. Uh, there was also an Eric Sogard trade, which if you had told me when Eric Sogard joined the roster that the Blue Jays were going to get literally anything for Eric Sogard come uh, July 28th, I would be like, I'm sorry, I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. But they did. They got two players to be named later. They got them from Tampa. Is there is there someone interesting that you think the Blue Jays might get to pick from in Tampa's uh, you know repertoire? Or do they have anything down there? Did in the they lower announce? Minor? Did they announce Giabut already, or am I messing? Am I confusing that with another? I have not seen any names, but I might be two hours out of the loop. So, but then I don't know how busy the Rays have actually been. Um, I mean, so the Rays have essentially the okay. Sorry, the Giabut was went to Texas. I conflated that with a uh, with a different trade. Two players to be named later. So it didn't say. So there's there's a couple of things working for you here. One, the Rays have, I think at this point, pretty clearly the best farm system in baseball. We had the Padres preseason, but with uh, various graduations, especially of Tatis and Paddock, um, the Rays clearly have the best system in baseball. So you could pick guys that aren't even in their top thirty or so and potentially get useful major league pieces out of it. Um, the other thing that's going for you is they did not announce that his player to be named later or cash, which usually means it's <laughs> not it's not going to be a significant player to be named later. Um, I just saw so there's a few guys like if you just want me to like start spitting out random names from the Rays, it is a thing I can do. But uh, okay, less than ten. <laughs> less than ten. Um, so a guy, a couple like so I'm trying to keep it along this sort of like tier of. Yeah, we're, we're, player to be named player to be named later prospect so you're probably not looking at a dude that's you know in the top 10 or, no. or maybe even in the even the top 20 here oh, let me pull up my good old handy dandy online notes who is the guy i liked here oh okay so uh roberto alvarez who's a, a low minors catcher in their system i liked a fair bit when i saw him from princeton Last year, um, I think he's in the Midwest League this year. I think I can I can check fairly easily. Uh, again, as he's a you know he's a twenty year old yeah he just turned twenty he's a twenty year old catcher in a ball and he's like holding his own. Um, the catch and throw was all right. The receiving was rough, but you know again he's not super uh, experienced yet. He's built like a catcher. He has some interesting. Uh, opposite field power that I saw. You know, so he's a guy that, again, uh, a long way away, but if you want to look at a guy that might sort of be a, a interesting player to be named later type name, that would be one name. Um, Miguel Lara is another one. Uh, he's, an under, he's another undersized righty. A little more physical projection just because he's like a little slighter than Simeon was Richardson is. The Jays are short one undersized right-handed pitcher. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he's not that short. Um, you know, he can get it up. He can get it up to 95, you know, some feel for the curve. Um, again, another guy where it's sort of like, are you getting anything more than maybe like a middle reliever out of the deal? Again, another guy that's, it's a fair bit away. Uh, but just another guy that I happened to see in Princeton and Hudson Valley the last couple of years. So I've seen a fair bit of the, of the raised low minors. You know, certainly might be, uh, yeah, he's listed at five foot 11, so he's not quite yeah. that short, but yeah, don't, that's how tall probably, I am. Probably Easy. towers, <laughs> towers over, uh, <laughs> over Marcus Stroman. All right. One more. Uh, yeah. I'll give you one more. All right. Let's go to the 2018. There's a couple interesting dudes on the renegades last year. <sighs> this is probably too good for, um, Eric Sogard, but I did kind of like Tanner Dotson, who's their two-way guy. Um, oh. You know, he's more of a he's more of a hitter, and maybe can throw some relief innings for you than like a Brendan McKay type profile. Um, I think we had him somewhere in the top fifteen, but that's maybe like a high-end guy. And there were a couple other infielders that weren't bad on that team as well that were sort of uh, I think early day two picks for them: Ford Proctor and Tyler Frank. But lots of possibilities in the in the Tampa system. It's like, like it's said. an incredibly deep system. Yeah, I mean, you could like throw a dart at at their system and have a decent chance of hitting somebody that could have some major league utility for you. Groovy. Well, that that actually sounds almost more uh, more fun than the trade to the Mets. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing darts. It's, it's it's the it's the you know it's the un it's poss- the possibility and the unknown. Like you kind of know what you got for Marcus Stroman already, but you can dream big on. Maybe a Tanner Dotson type. So, if the first two names you mentioned, if both of those are the players to be named later, I am going to call you Jeffrey Paternostradamus from now on. That's eh, fair you, enough. You run that risk. Um, you, of course, can uh, check out Jeff's uh, Twitter account at Jeff Paternostro. Um, he uh, he talks a lot, and tweets a lot, um, or you can check him out over at Baseball Prospectus because he's the lead prospect writer there, and he spends all of his day thinking about stuff that we just talked about, pretty much, right? More or less, yeah. Especially this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you once again for coming by. Thanks for having me. Have a good night, sir. And there you have it, which is to say uh, some idea of who the two guys are uh, who are coming back, as well as, you know, nice tidbits about uh, the possible return for Eric Sogard, as he uh, prognosticated for us. But anyway, Stroman gets us uh, gets us two minor league pitchers. And your thoughts on the overall value there? So I guess it really depends on what you think of Simeon was Richardson, uh, who... Obviously, Jeff was not quite as high on. I mean, the Blue Jays called him one of the best young pitching prospects in baseball. So (laughs) there's a bit of a difference there. But I think that while it's not a horrible return, it's considerably less than what I was expecting they would get. Um, Did you really think that they would get a... So, okay. There's a couple things here that I think um, are... And I'm not a Stroman fan, so I have my own bias in here. Anyway, um, number one, Stroman is never going to be a fantastic pitcher. He's 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 very good when he's good, when he's on, uh, and he never dips below um, unless he's been injured. He's he's never dipped below good. So you get good to very good, which is hard to find. Um, totally, I understand that. But on the flip side, as as Jeff mentioned, he's coming off a year where he was injured. Maybe this is peak Marcus Stroman, and this is where you want to trade him before he he does have some sort of you know fatigue injury, and maybe some teams are pricing that in. Uh, those are thoughts. I don't know if any of those thoughts mean anything to you. Well, they don't really because they're teams that really, really need starting pitching, and he was the best truly available guy. I mean, yeah, we keep hearing like maybe Bauer, maybe Boyd, maybe. You know, Mike Miner, I'd rather Stroman than all of those guys, except um, Bumgarner, but Bumgarner's probably not going to get traded. And so if you're like, if you're the Twins who badly need pitching, or you're the Braves who badly need a starter right now, or any number of teams, 
I can't believe they didn't top that, especially the Twins. I was really surprised at the Twins because their system is super deep. They could have traded with a headliner of even if they didn't want to do Gretarol, they could have done Jordan Balazovich, the Canadian guy who's legit, and he's like their fifth best prospect. I'm, I'm shocked that teams like that didn't top this offer. So then the other question is, Is it was it more about volume for the Blue Jays than it was about you know about quant- quantity rather than quality? Well, well I get- they should. I, I'm thinking those teams should have offered the the same quantity but with a better first piece. Hmm. Like I, I'm surprised that that did not happen. I mean, if you if you go listen around the league, it's like the Mets did quite well. I mean, like people think they did well. Obviously, like you said, Jeffrey thinks you know it's more of a fair deal. But um, and even taking that into account, I just given the needs of some of these teams, I feel like they should have topped this offer. Which then comes comes down to the question: Is why did why was he traded on? Sunday, which by the way, I, I was flying back. I was on a plane coming from Mexico City, and I wake and I get out and like Marcus Stroman to the Mets. Like what? <laughs> phone must be still on the Mexican Wi-Fi or something. It's clearly yeah. broken. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it makes you wonder whether they said we need everyone's best offer by today because we don't want to make our next his next start. Even though I don't think his next start was till tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday, so they could have had another day to do that. Do you think Stroman hurt his value by essentially saying, I should have been talked to about an extension by now? Oh, I absolutely think that that hurt, well, not his value so much as the leverage that the Blue Jays had in any kind of trade. Because I don't think anybody believed that, well, we might want to extend Marcus Stroman talk after Stroman came out. No, but but the the interesting interesting thing, when the Blue Jays talked about this trade earlier today, they said that uh, they actually had discussions with Stroman's agent multiple times over the last couple of weeks, and then but they felt as though the gap was too big. So now we're back to why didn't they extend Stroman because he wanted to get paid like an ace, possibly? Right. Yeah, which I think was we always believed that to be the case that they had an idea of what he would want, so they didn't exchange numbers. So <clears throat> that always seemed like the real case, not the they haven't talked to me about an extension. It's we know what you want in an extension, and we're not willing to do that. Yeah, because then the, then the next thing, again, knowing Marcus Stroman, the next thing that you hear from Marcus Stroman is they insulted me with their offer. Right, and we talked about that back in the in the spring when people were talking about an extension for Stroman where there was no offer they could give that he would accept, and he would just be pissed off by it, and I think that still applies. Yeah, because, again, I'm biased, but... N- uh, although he has been at the head of the Blue Jays rotation for the last two years, Marcus Stroman is not a number one starter across baseball. No, he's not. I think he is a very capable number two. Yeah. And, 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 and those guys get paid a lot too, but I think at the same time, it's like, you know, he's going to be entering his 30s when he's a free agent and the team didn't really want him to pay him like he was definitely going to be a number two well into his 30s. Yeah, because it, it uh, well, we have a couple of questions about that, and I think we'll we'll get to the intricacies of how long do you bet on Marcus Stroman for? All right. Yeah. Does does is that most of what what we've got for Marcus Stroman? I think so. I mean, it's a serious move, but uh, we we've said a, a lot about it. Um, so the first move chronologically was Eric Sogard who we did talk a lot about as a trade target, and it turns out he was a trade target for, of all teams, the Tampa Bay Rays, who must have seen what they liked this last weekend while he faced them. Yeah. I love it when the guy can cross the cross the field. But he had to get on a plane regardless of who he was going to end the weekend with is the other weird part. Yeah, I know. No, no, just hanging out in the clubhouse. It's like he, his bags were packed anyway. Yeah, just where which valet you hand them to, or which clubby uh, gets a hold of them. Um, yeah, that was that's surreal. Uh, and and he got pulled out of the lineup before the game because although the trade was not official, um, to have him, you know, it, Mike Wilner was talking on the radio. Well, it'd be really funny for Sogard to beat the team that he'd been traded to. No, Mike, it would be really sad if he got hurt while playing the team that he had just been traded to, and then everybody's unhappy. Yeah, exactly. When you're close to a trade with someone, the player does not play. No, because there's just no positive outcome from that. So this trade is fascinating because 
I mean, it's listed as two players to be named later. Uh, the Jays, obviously, they, you know, Jeff talked about this. We'll be trying to pick a couple of guys from the Rays farm system. They're low minors pitching, or, or you and you, well, you knew and he talked about it. And some position players he, he rhymed off as well. He was just, I, I asked for names, you know. Right. Uh, but now, it is actually just pitchers, though. It's They're picking between four pitchers. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So How do we I mean, know Atkins, this? Like, who, who, is that Atkins reported that? I believe so, yeah. What a weird well, he thing. said that like they'll have, they'll have clarity on which which two they'll be taking in about a month. Hmm. So like these when these are players to be named later, this is not like Julian Merriweather last year where they knew exactly who it was, but there were you know l- reasons why he couldn't be traded officially at that time because he was on the forty man and he had to clever waivers and all that stuff. This is a the more common player to be named later deal where you get to pick from a list of guys at a later date. Right. And so they know the list. It's four players. It's four pitchers, and they're going to pick two of them. And it sounds like, from talking to Jeffrey, that their system is so deep that they're kind of, the Jays might actually get value for Eric Sogard. Yeah, literally the most unlikely kind of pickup, right? You pick up a relief pitcher, and you think, okay, well, this relief pitcher might be able to flip him into something. But you don't really get a guy as an emergency replacement on the infield in April and think, well... Yeah, I'm sure he's going to bring back two players uh, from the minors who, who one of whom or both of whom might might turn into something. You know, and, and this again, uh, Jeff mentioned it, but this is not a cash deal. Like it's very specific that these are the guys. Now, is it a possibility that one of these people is a late signing, or people on the list are late signing draft picks from last year that they can't legally trade right now? No. So we're past. You're that not point. allowed to do that anymore. No. <laughs> You can't put them on the list. No, uh, it's a, they, they changed the rules. You can't do that anymore. They, right. um, once Trey Turner had that thing where he was playing in the in the Padres system for six months, even though the, everyone knew it was him and he was going to the Nationals, right? They that changed was... the rules that you can now trade a drafted player in the off season following the draft, but he cannot be traded previously as a player to be named later. All right, then cleared yeah. that up for me. Yep. <clears throat> So uh, yeah. it will be someone in their system now that's like in the low minors or two people and hopefully something good. But I mean, it's still regardless, it's helping the depth for a guy that was a minor league signing. And again, it's pitching depth is is the need for the Blue Jays. They can cobble together an infield and an outfield from from what they've got, I think. And the fact that. Um, Bo Bichette is up right now it, again speaks to that that they really think they've got enough to make a lineup that will you know make those adjustments and produce in the long run um, but they have having traded Marcus Stroman they have no pitching yeah there's a couple high-end guys in the minors but they don't have anybody who's on the cusp I mean the closest impact guy starter who might make some kind of impact is Anthony Kay <laughs> they just got from the Mets <laughs> Oh, the cupboard. She's a little bear. Uh, so we'll talk about Boba Shett. Um, not nearly the amount of fanfare you get with the Vlad Guerrero Jr. call-up, but he was the Blue Jays' number one prospect on paper, and now he has, uh, you know, graduated to the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, there, there was you know, obviously not the same fervor about calling up Vlad as there was Bo, because you know the things Vlad did in the minors were unheard of, but. There was still a, a a public push for Bo to be called up, and obviously Bo himself talking about it, which you mentioned on the the pod that we did ten days ago or so. Yeah, um, he got his first hit in his first at bat, so he did get to enjoy at least one you know inning or two uh, of uh, a thousand batting average in the major leagues. Yeah, a, a chop single through the left side. I mean, we talked about this right though that Bo Bichette was going to come up once they traded one of those infielders and it was the next day it's uh not you know not shocking at all um there is the issue of course uh with freddie galvis being the odd man out now um because obviously you want to see if bichette can play short um and get a good look at him and at the same time we we were talking about this also you you know you want to keep rolling freddie out there and now he has back tightness apparently tonight was the reason he was pulled out of the lineup um after being penciled in at second but like does freddie galvis at second really do anything for him 
Well, I, I think that in, I mean, in, with what you're talking about with keeping him playing and all that, it's just about seeing if he can keep, keep hitting because everyone knows he can play short. That's not that's not even in question. It's whether his bat will help a team that he's traded to. But my voice sounds really off. It's because you know I my, I lost it a bit this weekend. But did you breathe um, the air in Mexico City? I've yeah. heard that that's not a good idea. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't think that Galvis is really affected by this all that much. His credentials as a shortstop are what they are. And anybody that's trading for him is going to know what they're getting. And I still think there's a good chance he's gone. Yeah, unless, of course, he proves to be not slightly impinged, but majorly impinged by uh, some medical problem. Uh, right, yeah. If he's legitimately hurt, then yeah. then he's gone. But, I mean, Bo being up is going to be interesting. I mean, there this kind of quells all of the nonsense about service time manipulation that people thought was going to happen with him. Now, he came up when he was ready and the, and the spot was open. I mean, there was no way they were going to keep him down all year. And also, he had had, if they wanted to justify it by saying that he, you know, was having an off week or whatever, he had actually had a horrible, like, last week or 10 days um, at AAA, and they still didn't even blink when the spot opened up to call him up. So this is yeah, obviously that, part of the long-term plan. They actually did that with Biggio and Guriel as well. But, I mean, both the <laughs> Biggio started off on fire at AAA, and then he got really cold, and then they called him up. So this idea of a player needing to get hot is not, obviously something they don't care about. It's when you're ready, you're ready. All right. Um, let's talk about Shelly Duncan very briefly. Uh, Shelly Duncan was the the fielding coordinator? Do I have that right? Field coordinator, not field, fielding coordinator. Field coordinator. He made sure that the grass was pointing right way. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but... It's kind of weird to see one guy um, kicked to the front office in the middle of a season. Yeah, I we I mean I don't think we're going to find out what that was. I unless someone decides to leak a story later on, but that was surprising. And especially because people thought it was something to do with the clubhouse, you know, with the the Stroman thing that happened in the clubhouse, which we alluded to earlier. Stroman said that he didn't even see Shelly Duncan at all that day, so it had nothing to do with that. So it's really weird. Yeah, there was uh, one tweet I saw from one of the beat writers that that he had, I believe the word was, grown distant from some of the other coaching staff. And it's like, okay, you kind of got to hang out with these guys all the time. I'm, It's a weird thing to say. Um, but he didn't get fired, and he got, he got the uh, the promotion demotion to the front office. Uh, yeah, so it's weird. Like, they have a ton yeah. of coaches. <laughs> yeah, I remember, the Blue Jays, if I'm not mistaken, in their inaugural season, did not have a hitting coach. They did not have the budget for one. <laughs> really? Wow, that's bad. That's that's how they used to do things. Um, it just reminds me of Ball Four and uh, uh, that whole whole style of managing that's gone so far out of the way that nobody would recognize it anymore. Uh, we have, of course, the the team playing games. So we should talk about the Blue Jays and their incredible comeback from seven runs down after um, Ryan Barucki just melted <laughs> on the mound. Um, and they were down 8-1, to one and they ended up winning. It was 10-9 in extras. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, that's correct. The walk-off home run from Teoscar Hernandez. Right. So they, they got uh, Billy McKinney with, uh, sorry, Brandon Jury, rather, ugh, with multiple hits, uh, multiple home runs. First time he's ever done that. Teoscar Including Hernandez. a game-tying home run. Yeah. Teoscar Hernandez went back-to-back back with him. Um, incredible. Incredible stuff. Vlad hit the three-run bomb to make it a one-run game in the ninth. So, you know, in, in microcosm, I think the Blue Jays are, are a lot like this. A team that has, in 2019, completely unreliable pitching uh, and inconsistent. And then the nucleus of an offense that can score you a whole lot of runs uh, if if they're on. But Brandon Drury, as we've observed over and over again on this podcast, is like, why does this guy even have still a major league job? Well, because there's nobody who's kicking him out of his job. There's that potential there, but most of the time, he and Teoscar Hernandez specifically haven't really been able to rise to that potential. But when they do, it looks like everything's going to be great. And that's what happened. And somehow, inexplicably, they won the game on Saturday. And then they turned around on Sunday, and then they showed 
that even with a decent starting pitching performance, that there's just not enough there all the time with this team to get to the end of a game. <laughs> yeah. Just unreal. I mean, yeah, so they scored, they came back from 9-2 in the game before, and then this one they had the 8-1 lead. Yeah, still. Seven-run lead, completely evaporated with the same bullpen that had done such a fantastic job getting 21 rays in a row out the previous day. Now they're all burnt out because you've, you know, you've stretched them to the very limit. Uh, and the one guy who you might need to be available is Ken Giles. And Ken Giles was held back because he wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite feeling it, um, which is a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, I mean, he pitched the day before, and he was fine. Didn't give up a base runner, didn't strike anybody out, which is actually very unusual for him. But he, And then back-to-back, second game of a back-to-back, they were tied going into the ninth inning. You would think he would pitch, and he did not. And they lost the game, and then Montreux said he was unavailable. And I thought it meant that there was a trade coming initially when he didn't come out of the come out to pitch in the ninth inning and um no they were being precautionary so it's possible he's fine and they just want to be they just give him a nice easy ride into the deadline so there's no risk of him getting hurt again but Mm. it's also possible he's still hurt and that's really bad (laughs) ah all right you know what we're there's so many things that we're not going to have time for tonight. I'm, my mind is just like reeling at the moment. So uh, we're going to try and get some of your questions. Uh, so that means I should probably play the questions thing. There. It's time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right, let's start with Dave Church. Good friend Dave. With the Jays okay. entirely bereft of starters, how long do you give Aaron Sanchez to turn it around? Well, I think now you just give him, let him run it out. Yep, agree completely. Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. After seeing the very light return for Stroman, what is a realistic Giles return, assume, assuming he's actually healthy? <laughs> well, very light, maybe may overstating it a bit. Um, and again, assuming actually healthy is a big assumption right now <laughs> with Giles. Um, I still think Giles should get a top, like a good prospect headlining. Up. I mean, we've talked about how he might have more trade value than Strowman in the past. Yeah. Because closers at the deadline and he's the best available one, especially because the Giants, Will Smith, the Giants aren't going to trade anybody. They're in the playoff hunt. Um yeah, I, I think that a, a Giles return will still be a big help to the system. It would be funny if the Giants picked up Giles. Um, <laughs> they don't have the pieces for him. It's just they have an incredible bullpen. It would be a really odd thing for them to add to their bullpen. Uh, so Luke at Split Letters asks, have we contracted Metzing? Is there a cure? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. No. Metzing is and way more There is more no random. cure. Absolutely not. The no, Mets you... have been like this for a long time. So if there was a cure, they'd have found it. Ever since well, that though... pyramid scheme collapsed on the Wilpons, this is <laughs> this has been the Mets. Um, and I don't think the ownership group of the Blue Jays is involved in a pyramid scheme, from my understanding. We don't. We hope not. Depends how you describe the cable business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which which of Brian's three questions would you like to? Oh. Oh, sorry, there's only two questions. Um, I like this one. What are the chances that Strowman turns into the next Tim Lincecum? Amazing for the first so many years, and then what seems like a sharp drop-off. Maybe the front office sees something we don't, just try and find an excuse as to why we traded him instead of extending him. But we, we talked about the second part. But do you think he's Lincecum-esque in his, uh, the thought about whether he might break down or not? Well, I don't know about the breaking down part. I think Marcus Strowman, I mean, last year was kind of the anomaly because he's been a pretty durable pitcher. Uh, but with the way the game is moving and the way that you know, he doesn't miss bats, I, mean, I, I could definitely see that him him taking a step down if, after he turns 30, if he, you know, if some of the innings on his arm, he starts losing a bit of his velocity or some of his movement. So 
I don't think that he's going to be as steep a drop as Linscombe had, where he went from the best in the game to barely useful in three years. But I could definitely see him getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I feel like um, Linscombe raised went to much higher heights than Strowman can even think to reach. Well, that's why I said he was at the best in the game. Uh, all right, uh, Kate Stanwick. We're going to skip up there. At OK Stan, who is going to finish the 2019 season with more wins above replacement, Vlad or Bo? I think it's going to be Vlad. Me I mean, it, it's it, Bo is not a bad pick because he's a shortstop, so he gets that natural boost. But Vlad's going to start hitting eventually. So Vlad, over the last month, because he's had a good week, uh, over the last month in 95 plate appearances, um, is hitting 280, 379, 463, and has finally stabilized where he's walking about as much as he's striking out. These are all very good signs. Indeed. Uh, Colleen Evans. Um, who do you... This is right out of left field, but I like the ones out of left field. Who do you think pitches the next perfect game? Do you think it happens this year? You can go. Oh, uh, which random pitcher would I like to pitch a perfect game? Because I really don't put any stock in the one perfect game uh, kind of kind of thing. I think Noah Syndergaard, because his name keeps coming up. Interesting. It's, it's not about, I don't think it's going to happen this year. <laughs> because odds are it will not happen in any given year, because it does not happen once a year. Uh-huh. But, uh, all right, that's big a, that's brain thinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna say Steven Strasburg's gonna have one of those magic games. Oh, that's cool. Um, I, I I remind people that if you go look at the list of perfect game pitchers, it is littered with incredible quality pitchers and guys you've never heard of, except that they're on that list of perfect game pitchers. Uh, at Raps Leaf Jays. Tr- Toronto Raptors Leafs Jays uh, says, given now that we have several pitchers prospect arms in their early to mid 20s, is there any doubt that the Blue Jays window of contention is really 2023 and not 2021 as the team implied last year? In other words, two more years of slow improvement, but not above mediocrity. I think I know what you're going to say to this one. What do you think I'm going to say? I think you're going to say there's such a thing as the free agent market. I was certainly going to get to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that, I mean, there's a chance, obviously, that that's the window of contention if everyone just develops slower, including the hitters. But, yeah, I mean, they've got some guys who are going to be ready next year, like Nate Pearson, Anthony Kay, and TJ Zoic. I don't know. But, yeah, this rotation is going to have to be supplemented from outside the roster. We've talked about that before. And if some of these prospects start to get better, they can also trade for pitchers who are ready to go. So I think that this... Window will open when the hitters are ready. All right. Um, what will playing time at shortstop look like with Bo up? Platoon with Galvis? Galvis deadline deal? Do you think... Wow, there's so many questions packed in there from Kevin uh, Cicerone. Uh Do you think as their young talent bring begins to join the roster, we'll see less super utility guys in the everyday lineup? Will the prospects have everyday defensive positions? Uh, well, let's take, let's take that yeah. last part first. Yeah. We talked about Galvis and, and stuff like that in the earlier. Mm-hmm. Will the prospects have everyday defensive positions? Yes, I, I think so. I think that just Bobachet is the only guy who you set up to play shortstop. Um, and obviously Vlad is is a third baseman who's going to move to first when someone else supplants him at third. Um, that seems to be pretty set, and that kind of sets the other half of the infield, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think especially once Galvis is moved, it's going to be smoke at first because I, I don't know I, I don't think smoke's going to get traded but if he does then it's Tellez or Drury and then it's like around the infield is Biggio Bichette Guerrero and the outfield is it's Guriel's locked into left and then Grichuk Teoscar Hernandez and Billy McKinney are the three-headed monster in center and right uh, BK at underscore BK UHN underscore uh, says I'm pretty excited about SWR tell me I'm wrong well, Jeff Paternostro kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> he he was not as impressed as some, but um, yeah, go ahead, be excited. Right, right or wrong, you can be excited. That's fine. Um, the heated end had a question about prospects. Uh, we talked about that for Sogard. Um, <laughs> does the Toronto Star have a vendetta against this front office, or are they more like the Major League uh, uh, movie Indians Grounds Crew? 
Um, is not all Toronto media pretty much like the Major League Indians grounds crew? <laughs> I can't repeat what the Indians grounds crew says on the air. <laughs> One, because I can't say it in Japanese, and two, I'm not going to say the translation. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there's a lot of reason to be upset about the direction that this team has been taking, and they suck. You know, I mean, until they stop sucking, people are going to write negative things about them. Yeah, but the the sucking was a good chunk of the plan, shockingly. Yeah, and I think that that's why I don't think Atkins and Shapiro really care that the the Toronto Stars or the Sun or the Post or whatever are being negative about the state of the team because they know that the state of the team is bad and they were prepared for this. All right, uh, Rob Coates at Coates Rob thirty three has the last question that I have on the list here. How much right, of the I'll... rift between? Oh, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to read one for you. Oh, fire! <laughs> How much of the rift between Stroman and Sanchez pushed the team in this direction? And is it any coincidence that Sanchez had his best start in a while the same day Stroman was traded? In parentheses, pushing a potential conspiracy. <laughs> Uh, yes, you are. That's what a conspiracy is. It's where you see a organization of things that couldn't possibly be there as, as an actual fact. No, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but the rift between Stroman and Sanchez is not a front office concern. I don't think it ever was. I don't think it ever will be because they don't have to deal with one another. They don't even play on the same days. Um, and then is it a coincidence that Sanchez had his best start uh, in a while the same day he was traded? Yes, that's exactly what a coincidence is. Um, <laughs> and that's what happened there. Because if, if if Sanchez could have willed himself to be better, he would have done it months ago. Yep. Okay. Holy moly. Do you still want to get that do-over, or are we just going to give the Jays a do-over next week? Let's do it real quick. I just, just... All right. I got to push the button. Uh, is that the button? Probably not. Man, okay, I really need what this. What happened to my real quick? All right, what would I do different? <laughs> well, well, I've never actually made a mistake. There have been a few, let's call them Stananks, that could be worthy of a do-over. Just a small Stanank there with the uh, the magic machine that makes the noises. All right, you have a do-over for our hometown team, the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, real quick, because this has been a constant problem. The PR. So Stroman was traded. Everyone knew Stroman was going to be traded. But this was your friend, the rotation pitcher, the guy who's been with you for a couple of playoff runs and has openly loves Toronto. How do you trade him and then not say anything for 24 hours? Nobody knows. They just let speculation and, and, and reaction run wild without coming out and saying why they made the deal because they really like the pitcher. Yeah, just just type something up real quick. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. So the do-over is when you make a trade, announce it and talk about it. Talk up the return. Yeah, have a have a pre-printed uh, statement for the press ready to go. Even if the trade, uh, you know, is, is, is hung up on some small detail, you can you can leak something. It's OK. We'll forgive you. But yeah, but it was officially announced. Like once it's officially announced, oh, yeah. quick conference call with the media. Boom. Hey, here's why we did this. You know, Done. exactly what they did today, but 24 hours afterwards. <laughs> Come on, Craziness. Richard Griffin. Come on. All right. Uh, okay. You have any final thoughts? Yeah. My, I mean, just that there's going to be probably a couple more trades. And, you know, we, we were seeing chatter that the Anthopolis and the Braves are interested in be a genie. And then obviously Galvis, who we talked about, could go Hudson. So it's still going to be an interesting couple of days to see where what this team is going to look like in the next year, two, or three. Fingers crossed that everyone isn't constantly disappointed with every return for every trade ever. Yeah. Uh, my final thought is about um, Trevor Bauer because uh, he's uh, – you know how we, we say that some guys play the game the right way? Trevor Bauer doesn't play it the right way. <laughs> He's, he's horrible. But uh, from Zach Meisel um, uh, covering the Indians. Uh, well, this is a first. Trevor Bauer chucked the baseball from the mound over the center field wall before Terry Francona arrived at the mound to make the pitching change. 
Um, and of course, uh, the response on Twitter from at reflog underscore 18 was strange because normally he throws it toward the plate before that happens. Badoom. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I saw a joke. Someone said, oh, try that again. Someone said something similar about how he was going to be traded to a team. He was giving up a lot of home runs and he just decided to cut out the middle man. <laughs> um, I, he's famous for his long toss, I think is the hilarious part. Because it's like, okay, we we get it, Trevor. We know you do long toss. It's it's fine. And uh, Terry's going to need another ball, so you go get that. <laughs> yeah. And sorry, I have a second final thought because the Jays are entering the bottom of the ninth inning against Kansas City with the lead, and Ken Giles, Giles is not, not in the game. Up. Yeah. 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 Well, I hope he's traded this time for our sake. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been... Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 151. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. And uh, we will talk at you next week. Mm-hmm.